go, new series, come on. Hey, welcome friends in the room in Nashville, Phoenix, Austin, Tulsa, wherever you were tuning in, Houston, El Paso. Friends up north, we are kicking off a brand new series, Instagram Theology. Hey, who is on Instagram in this room? Who's not on Instagram in this room? Oh man, more than I would have thought. You guys need to get with the program here, people. It's like the new Facebook, only your Aunt Carol is not on there. And uh, hey, for the next handful of weeks, we're going to look at Instagram theology. What is Instagram theology? We're just going to explore some of the more popular cultural sayings and mantras and put them up to the lens of scriptural truth. Let me start it like this. I, uh, not long ago, was coming back from a trip, a vacation my wife got to go on, and we were flying back uh, from being out of town, and we got on the plane, we sat behind this couple that also looked like they were coming back from being on vacation. They were in their 20s, probably like 25, 26, you know, somewhere around there. And it looked like boyfriend and girlfriend, and they sat down right in front of us, and were waiting on the tarmac, or waiting for the flight to go off, and the girl pulls out her phone, and she just begins to like look through the pictures of her vacation. And I'm not trying to be like creeper stalker. She's just like right in front of me, and I'm like, okay, well, Stingray and her, and she's just going through everything that they did. And then as she's going through pictures of like her and her boo on the beach, and she pulls up an app, and I had never seen this before. She pulls up this app, and she begins to take one of the photos of her vacation and she begins to alter the photo. Like, it, it's something called Facetune, apparently, which is a thing. Men, it's a thing. And she pulls this up, and she begins to like, she's like adjusting her waist somehow. She's able to like almost airbrush her face to make it look smoother. She's like whitening her teeth, and I'm sitting there like watching this. This lady's a total fraud. This is a photo fraud. What is she doing? She's enhancing the way that she looks. I mean, she, she, and it worked. It, she looked better in the picture than she was looking in this thing. And uh, I mean, it's just true. She was like, and I'm like, dude, this lady sits on a throne of lies. This is unbelievable. So I did what any person would do. I followed her on Instagram, and then I commented on her picture. You sit on a throne of lies. <laughs> I didn't do that at all. I didn't do that. But I was sitting there going, oh my goodness, what are you doing? This is not at all reality. I mean, there's some things that kind of look the same, but there are some things that this is not who you are, lady. You are projecting and throwing out this image of yourself and posting it out there on Instagram, which is what she did next. That is not entirely reality. This is definitely not the whole truth. The hair color is the same. You know, the people in the picture are the same. The moment didn't change or whatever they, they were doing on the beach there. But the whole truth was not being seen. It was a partial truth at best. And the reason I start there is because in that same way that she was putting out there a partial version of herself, really just a partial truth. There were some things changed and doctored and edited. This series is us examining how oftentimes in culture and oftentimes on Instagram, people will throw out kind of like partial truths that have a little bit of truth to them. And I'm not talking about a picture. I just mean like sayings and hashtags and kind of lingo that people will, will throw out there that has some truth to it. It's just not the whole truth. And what we want to do for the next handful of weeks is look at some of the more popular versions of those or popular expressions that people have, like love is love, speak your truth, uh, here for it, tonight good vibes only, love yourself, listen to your heart, and begin to go like, man, what is the actual truth? There's like a little bit of truth in that, but there's also just a little bit of where it's twisted, and that's not the whole truth that you are posting about and throwing out there to the rest of culture and begin to go like, what would God's word actually say about this idea? So tonight, we're gonna take on the very first one as it relates to good vibes 
only, which kind of captures a lot of what Instagram is in general. People post and go to Instagram in order to kind of get good vibes. Nobody's on there like, I'm just looking for someone to make me depressed. Ironically, despite the fact that that's kind of what ends up happening when you look at everybody's highlight reel. But you go on there and it's kind of like good vibes and positive things and people are posting about their workout and the smoothie and this inspirational quote that you know I found earlier today. And the idea of good vibes only, if you've never heard that expression, it basically is, is something that people will say, and they're like, dude, hey, I just don't need that right now. Sometimes you'll say it in response to a roommate who comes home, wants to tell you about how their boss was so dysfunctional, you're like, hey, man, don't need it. Good vibes only right now. I don't need that negativity in here. I'm trying to work on something positive. Positive in, positive out. And people will just try to like maintain a positive atmosphere around them. And there's something about that that I can almost get on board with. You know, the Bible says in Philippians chapter four that whatever's true, noble, pure, right, good, Think about those things. So there's kind of an element of truth in it. But the reality is all of us, even if we want to have good vibes, we know that that's not an experience that can always be a part of our life. But when it gets tricky is that there is a Christian version of good vibes only. There's some like cultural Christians, like culture has its own good vibes only, and Christianity and in the church today in America there has been some expressions of our own style of kind of good vibes only. Hey, good positive things only. And they often, offer, often are attached to like, man, if you just believe enough good things, God has got good things in store for you. God's got good coming your way. I'm believing for good this year in you. Your job, your relationships, your family, your money status, all those things are good things coming to you. And if you just believe enough and have enough faith and you live the right type of life, those things are headed your way. You just need to hold on. And there's some expressions in particular where the church is believing some partial truths that contain a little bit of truth, but it also contains a little bit of a lie. And if you and I are not careful to know what those lies are, you are going to set yourself up. In other words, if you believe the three mistruths or the three partial truths that we're going to talk about tonight that are widely pervasive, you are going to set yourself up to experience depression, despair, a Christianity that doesn't work because it's not Christianity, and experience a relationship with God that is defined as anything but like a healthy, functioning relationship as the Bible would describe. And tragically, at least one of the mistruths or at least one of the partial truths that we're gonna look at is responsible for sending people to hell because it doesn't align with what God says the actual gospel is and what is actually true. So we're gonna look at the three partial truths that are the Christian variations of this kind of good vibes only, good life only, good things only coming to you, and we'll go through those. So these are gonna be three partial truths aligned with three of what I would call the Instagram bio Bible verses. You know what I mean by that? These are the Bible verses that like, you, people will put them on coffee mugs, people will put them in the Instagram bio, and three of the most like, kind of popular verses out there that are often some of the most misapplied verses out there or wrongly applied verses that are out there. So the first one, the first partial truth is a partial truth, what I would just call the prosperity gospel. What do I mean by that? The prosperity gospel basically says this, that God, at the end of the day, hey, if you wanna follow God, and this is, this is infiltrating in some significant ways in the church in America. If you wanna follow God, here's what you need to know. God, he's for you, he's good, he loves you. You are gonna have a healthy, wealthy, happy life. That is what God's will for you is. That is what God wants for you. That is what is coming. And if you don't have those things, it's because you don't have enough faith or because you are not inside of the will of God, so you need to check yourself because that is what God wants for you. And it's a partial truth. 
The reason why it's like, hey, man, it's, there's, there's kind of something true in that, but there's also kind of something not true in that. And what do I mean by that? There is kind of a truth in that it's not like God is out there not wanting your life to prosper. It's not like you sit in heaven and be like, I can't believe how well these people are doing. Unbelievable. So there is some truth. It's not like he's radically opposed to that. But it is not the entire truth. Because it sells itself short in saying, like, at the end of the day, you know what God wants for you? He wants you to be wealthy. He wants you to be healthy. And this is what, if you follow God, is in store for you. And it just doesn't align with the Bible. The Instagram verse of this, if you will, the Instagram bio verse, if you will, which is actually a verse, in case you're like, am I making this up, is Jeremiah 29 11. It's a very famous verse. You probably have heard it before. And it says this. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So people will take this verse and, you know, you broke up with your girlfriend and he's like, hey, it's okay. Look, God says, Jeremiah 29, 11, that he has a plan for you. He has a plan to prosper you. I know you just lost your job, but he has a hope. He has a future. He has good things coming for you. You need to hold on because that's what God has for you. That's in my Bible. And people will say that and it's like, oh, okay, that, that's good but it falls short of actually rightly applying that verse. That God's goal in even saying that at that time was not that you would be wealthy and healthy and happy, ultimately. In other words, when that verse was written, that's not what it meant to them, let alone what it means to us today. The context for that verse, just we're gonna read it here in a second. If you read around what that verse and when it was written, it was written by the prophet Jeremiah, and here's what was basically the point that was taking place. There were people that were in exile. What does it mean to be exile? Basically, there was uh, the nation of Israel and the city of Jerusalem kind of got conquered. So this conquering empire called the Babylonians, they came in, conquered Jerusalem, and they were like, here's what we're doing. We're taking exiles, prisoners with us. We want the top 10%. So they went around and kind of like just college, they're like, everybody in the top 10%, the prettiest people, smartest people, you're all coming with us back to Babylon. So people lost their family members. They lost people that were close to them, their dad. People were just taken away and sent into exile in Babylon. And the nation of Israel were like, dude, they just took, it'd be like if Canada came and conquered America, which would be hard, but they came in and they were like, we're taking the top 10% back to Montreal, you're all coming with us. And you're sitting there as American, you're like, dude, this is so sad, I, I go to Montreal, I guess if I wanna see my family, are they ever gonna get to come back? And people began to go, you know what, I'm sure God is gonna bring them back. And we're told false prophets started showing up being like, you are the nation of Israel, God is gonna give you a destiny and a future and he's bringing them back and giving these false promises. And Jeremiah writes a letter to the exiles, and he says, hey, don't buy it. Get comfortable. You're staying in Babylon. And here's what he says. And inside of that is where he writes the verse that I just read, Jeremiah 28 and 11. Here's what it says. Do not, verse 8, Jeremiah 29. Do not let the prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams. They are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. But then I will come and do for you all the good things that I promised. And I will bring you home again. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and to give you hope. The context of the verse was Jeremiah saying, hey, people are saying you're coming home. You're not coming home. Get comfortable. Seek the welfare of the city that you're in, 
but put down roots. You are not coming home. In fact, some of you guys are not even going to live for seven years, like your kids or your grandkids are going to be the ones that are brought back. And yet we plucked that verse and we're like, here's what this verse means. It means that God has a future for you to be healthy and wealthy and happy, and that is the will of God for your life. And it's twisted. It makes the epitome of what prosperity and the prospering that God wants so worldly. And it really aligns with what the world would say is blessing in terms of God. And it is a partial truth that robs actually what God says is actual blessing, which is having a relationship with him, having health in your relationship with him and having health in your relationship with other people. But this is all over Christianity in our country today. Some of the most popular preachers in America will put forward this stuff. And it is tragic because it is selling a lie that does not come from the Bible. One of the more popular people, uh, and I don't exhaustively study a ton of these guys, but there are just sound bites that come out where it's like, man, that's, that is at best misleading. Is a guy named Joel Osteen. And Joel, I don't know Joel, and I hope his heart is good. I hope he loves Jesus and has an amazing relationship with him and all kinds of positive things. But he wrote in a letter that was published by the Washington Post this, that God wants to prosper us financially. He wants us to have plenty of money to fulfill the destiny he's laid out for us. That is at best misleading, or is it worse, intentionally misleading, and he is lying to people. And there are people all over our country who are saying, like, this is what God wants. He wants you to be healthy and wealthy and wise. So give us your money, and God will give you 10 times as much back. And it is a lie. And it belittles the message of Jesus. It belittles the message of the Bible. It belittles the God who is there. There's also people who say, like, you know what? Hey, you know what God wants for you? He wants you to be healthy. So if you're not healthy, it's because something you're not doing enough or maybe people haven't prayed for you or the right person hasn't come along to extend the gift of healing. God can heal people. He does all the time. But the will of God is not always healing for you. I was hanging with a friend a couple weeks ago and he was talking about a woman in his church who has been in a wheelchair for 20 years. She was a model. At the age of 25, she had a stroke. She's been in a wheelchair ever since. She said, almost every single day, People will come up to me in Christian circles and they say the same thing over and over and over again. Imagine if this was you, sitting in a wheelchair. Hey, I'm just, I need you to know I got a word from the Lord. This year is gonna be your year of liberation. The year of Jubilee is here. You're gonna be set free. This is the year you're gonna walk and let me just pray over you right now that that would happen. And she kindly said, I almost do the same thing every time. I say, hey, that's great. Let me pray over you though because God has made this wheelchair into a throne by which I get to proclaim, despite the fact that I cannot walk, that the God who is there is good, he is for me, he could heal me at any time, but I don't worship him because he heals me, I worship him because he's God. And there are all types of people who are putting forward that what it looks like if you really follow God, if you really had enough faith, you would be healed, and that is a lie. And it is not how the Bible says God operates, and sometimes the most God-exalting thing is not that you get up and walk, it's that you can't, and you still say he's king, he's good, he's alive. And that's what the Bible teaches. And anybody who tells you something that is inconsistent with that is lying to you. Ultimately, the prosperity gospel, if you will, that, hey, man, just follow God and everything will be great for you, it makes this weird relationship where you don't actually worry God, worship God, you kind of worship what he can give you. It's like this. When I was in college, I dated a girl for, like, we went on a few dates, 
And it was one of those times where you're like, I don't know that I really see this going anywhere. And, um, and then I found out who her family was. And her family had a town named after them. Like they owned the town. And it was like, dude, it, wow. They were well off at a level like I had never experienced before. And so I'm like, oh, man. Well, if I continue in this, I guess I'll get to go on the private jet. I'm hanging on a PJ. I could go on the family vacations. Like, that could be cool. Thankfully, I didn't really move forward with it. But think about all the reactions that every girl in this audience just had. Oh, my gosh. That is so unbelievable. You are a gold digger. Huh? You would be right. If I was just in the relationship, not because I actually liked her, but because I was like, yeah, I mean, she's okay, but really nice house. You would say... That is so messed up. That's what the prosperity gospel is. It's like, hey, you know, God is kind of cool, but really what he can give me is what I am after. You don't worship God, you worship his stuff. And it is a false teaching that many have fallen for, tragically. The second partial truth that is spreading, honestly, probably even quicker in our day and age is what I would just call the positivity gospel, the positivity gospel. What do I mean by that? It's almost this like type of Christianity that is very focused on self-help and you can do it and no weapon formed against you can stand and this motivational kind of pep rally that's all come together and you're gonna defeat it this year and you're gonna conquer it this year. The promotion's gonna be yours and I'm just gonna believe it enough and if you believe it enough, then it will be what happens in your life. And again, it's so dangerous because it, it's just like a partial truth. There's something true about that. There's something true about, man, God, the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. That if you walk in dependence on him, there's no limit to what God could do. Like, there's something true. But where it gets distorted is it begins to make promises that God never made. It begins to make promises that, that are not what God says. Ultimately, this is, I'm promising uh, flourishing at your job or you're gonna get married this year or promises that are, not things that God says, man, I promise this to you. Uh, let me give you an example. It's, it's, oftentimes, people will do this. The dangerous thing about all three of these partial truths is that people take Bible verses and they try to support it with it. See, this is what God said. This is how you can know that this is gonna happen for you this year. And people will take Bible stories and do the same thing. Uh, what do I mean? It'll be like this. It'll be like, hey, you know what? Just like... David slayed the, the giant of Goliath and he put him to death. This year, the God, he's told me he has a word for you. You are going to put to death the giant of singleness. It will not arm against you. No weapon formed against you. So stand, you will prosper. And any door God closes will be a window he follows up with. Because that's how my God works. And your setback will be a setup for what God is going to do to bring success. Turn to your neighbor and say success. Dude, I'm out of breath. Wow, I, that's actually a lot harder than I thought. <laughs> I gotta start jogging. And it is a lie. It's ridiculous. It is motivational and it's inspiring. And I'm like, yeah, it's gonna be a setup, setback. I can't wait. And then I leave and I'm like, I don't know what that actually means. And I don't know what to do with that. And I think he just promised that I'm gonna get married and get out of debt in the next month. Wow. And then it doesn't happen. And then oftentimes it's like, well, this is because you didn't have enough faith. And it is making promises that God never made in his name. And it is tragic. And I'm all about positivity. Like my number one on Strength Finders, positivity. I'm a seven on the Enneagram. 
I don't like thinking about negative things. I like thinking about positive things. Let's go there. But when you begin to live a life that buys into this lie that God has promised certain things or that begins to focus on yourself and I'm more than a conqueror in Christ and I'm gonna take down this thing, I'm getting the promotion, you are buying into things and holding them as promises that God never said he promised to you. He promised in this world you're gonna have trouble. Not that you're gonna get a promotion. And what happens whenever you begin to go, man, I'm gonna believe God promising for me to get a promotion this year, I'm believing for that, that's what he's told me, and then it doesn't happen. It's like, I guess God's a liar. I don't know if this whole thing works. Maybe there's something wrong with me. And my heart breaks for the number of Christians who've walked away from the faith because of that reason. And God is there going, I never promised that. I promise that I'm enough. No matter what you face, what you walk through. One of the more popular verses that people in this same kind of vein of, of positivity and self-empowerment, and you got it, will pull out is Philippians chapter four, verse 13. That I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. This is in every Christian school's gym on the wall. This was on Tim Tebow's eyes. It really captures like the football faith of like, we're gonna beat them for Jesus, let's do this. And it doesn't reflect what Paul was actually saying in the verse. Ironically, he was saying the opposite of, hey, we're gonna win because God will give us strength. He was saying, no matter what happens, if I win, if I lose, if I'm rich, if I'm poor, no matter what I face, I can handle it all because of Jesus. He's enough. The verses say this, the context around it. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, no matter what I face, whether I'm with a full stomach, empty stomach, whether I have plenty or if I have very little, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So if we win or we lose, Jesus is enough. If I'm single, if I'm married, Jesus is enough. If I don't get the job, if I lose my job, if I get a promotion, Jesus is enough. And Paul, he like grew in his relationship because he said, I learned the secret. As in like, this wasn't an overnight thing. As I've grown in Jesus, I've learned no matter what is happening on the outside, I can be okay on the inside. And it's not because I'm promised victory in every way. It's because Jesus is enough. He's worthy. He's worth it. And he's enough. And no matter what I face, even if I'm hungry, I can go through it because I have this connection with Christ that is so real and tangible. It surpasses anything I face in this life. It's pretty astonishing. But he says that is what is a part of any person as they grow in their faith and their relationship with Jesus. That is what begins to happen inside of their life. Ironically, Paul wrote this from a prison jail cell, that I can do anything, I can handle anything, even being in jail for my faith. And we've taken it and we've made it a pump up verse attached to promises that God never made. Two tragedies I think happen on this. The first I've already kind of alluded to is that we miss out on showcasing to the world even when things go really badly Jesus is Lord. As powerful, like I said, as that woman getting up and walking, or as powerful as you, you know, having everything that you want in life and God bringing the healing and making it happen, it's almost more powerful for someone to go through and say, he hasn't taken the cancer away, and I don't know how much longer I've got. 
don't know how many more chances I've got, but Jesus is enough, and I believe him. When that happens, it almost takes your breath away. I know it does for me. Whenever somebody has, like, the cancer go away, I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. Chemo worked. But when they stand there and they look at me in the eye and they're like, I don't know if it's going to happen, man. But I've never felt more close to Jesus. I've never felt more alive. He's enough. It's breathtaking. And in making promises or in saying, like, man, ultimately God just wants you. You're more than a victor. And judging success by whether or not things go the way that we want them to, it removes our ability to showcase him even in hardship and pain. The second thing is it teaches people to bank on promises that God never made. So they can leave, and here's like the most appealing thing, like dude, if we wanted to blow up the porch and just kinda begin to like fill up every stadium out there, we would just begin to go self-help, positivity, everything's gonna be great, good vibes only, you got it, you got what it takes, this is what God's got for you, and just go over the top, because it, it really is something all of us are going, man, that, so encouraging, and I want to hear that. But the tragedy would be, we would be filling our hearts with promises that God didn't make, and filling it, and so whenever life and tragedy happens, and things don't go the way that you want them to, you're holding on to something that was bankrupt, empty. You're like, man, I was banking on something that never worked, or never could have been there when I faced tragedy. Let me give you an illustration to say what I mean. We moved uh, a couple years ago from where we live now and moved into uh, our house now from our old house. And while we were doing that, we do what you do. You pack up your house and you're beginning to pack everything up. And I was packing up underneath the kitchen sink at our old house and I came across our fire extinguisher. And I knew that our fire extinguisher was in there and uh, knew that, man, if there was a fire, that had kind of been in there even before we moved in the home. And hey, we got that and we'll go grab that and we'll be all ready. And as I was packing things out and moving it, pulled out the fire extinguisher and I realized, oh no, it was empty, it was rusted out, and it was expired. Had a fire come, the thing that I was banking on to kind of bail me out, and this will be the thing that, you know, worst come, if bad scenario happens, house on fire, I'm gonna go grab this thing, and I would have found it empty, not helpful, and unable to help me face the fire. That's what people who hold on to these empty Bible-less promises that everything you know you want, if you're positive and have enough faith, it will be yours. That is what happens when they face tragedy and they face heartbreak. Is they're holding on to an empty fire extinguisher. I can't help them because it's not coming from the Word of God. Finally, the final partial truth, as it relates to this like good vibes only kind of Christian edition is what I would call the partial truth promised upgrades. And this looks like this. Hey, when things don't work out, you didn't get that job, it's because there's a better job coming. When you didn't get that, or your relationship broke off and you guys didn't make it, it's because she wasn't the one. God has someone better out there for you. It's this kind of promised upgrades. And when things don't go how we want them to, it's because God has a better something out there for you. And again, it's got a partial truth in it. And it's probably the most pervasive partial truth believed and really expressed inside of this room. But the partial truth is that God does have something better in terms of his plan. But he doesn't promise that he's got a better job for you. 
Like when, when things fall apart or when your relationship breaks up, it's not true to say, you know why? Because God has a better someone out there. She's out there and she was not the one and good riddance to her because we've got another one we're gonna look for now. <laughs> That's not helpful and it's not true. If I was to say that to you, I'd just be like kind of saying stuff because I'm like, I don't want you to feel bad, so here's an empty promise. And uh, the truth is, the truth would be honestly like, hey man, you guys broke up. Um, God may not have anyone else out there for you. You may be alone and single for the rest of your life. That's the truth. I'm not saying you should lead with that. I'm just saying (laughs) that's the truth. But God has something better, has a better plan. He has a plan, he loves you and he's for you. And you can trust him. So I can't, I can't in good faith or biblically say when you lose your job, you know why you lost that job? Because God has a better job for you. You may not have a better job coming your way. You may work part-time at McDonald's, and that's great. And it may be a way worse job than your last job. Maybe that's what God has for you. Again, I'm not saying you should lead with that, but that is the truth. He hasn't given these like promised upgrades all the time, but he has promised. I'm gonna look at the verse where people, you may be going like, wait a second, I thought he promised it's always gonna work for good. We're gonna look at that verse. But he hasn't promised he's gonna work for good according to your definition of good, or he's always going to bring about upgrades in terms of your life. The way, or the reason, um, sorry, the verse that most people will pull this from, and well-meaning, people aren't doing it maliciously. They've just kind of heard people say things like that, but it's not biblical. And they pull it from Romans chapter eight, verse 28, the final Instagram bio Bible verse, if you will, which says this. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. So we hold on to that, we take out, he works for the good of those who love him. God is always working for good. So if you know I end up, my parents split apart, it's because God has a better plan, he's gonna bring them back together. If my roommate moves out or we lose the lease, it's because God has a better apartment set up for us? No. Sometimes, maybe, but that's not a promise that you should bank on or a promise that God made. He tells us in the context of those verses again, the specific good that he's always at work bringing about in your life. Like there's a very specific good that he's saying like, man, this is the good that I'm at work bringing about in your life. Here's what he says in chapter eight, verse 28 and 29. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those that God knew, foreknew, he predestined to be conformed. Here's the specific good that God is at work bringing about in your life. To be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That the specific good that God is at work, what's the good? Is that in every situation that you face, God is going to bring about the good goal of using it to make you more like Jesus. Like that's a specific good. In every situation, he doesn't promise that everything you face will be good. He promises that everything you face, even the bad things, even the worst and most painful things, I will use to conform your character to be more like Jesus. That everything that you walk through, every breakup, every hardship, all of them I will use to make you more like Jesus, to work on your character, to produce fruits of the spirit would be another way of saying it. To produce things that are like God. I'm gonna use those to begin to work on your anger problem, work on your lust problem, to work on gossip, to begin anything that's out in your life that does not conform to the character of Jesus. That's what ultimately he's bringing about, that he wants to bring about love, joy, peace, peace, and peace, patience, (laughs) kindness, gentleness, self-control. 
is gonna use all of the circumstances, even the hardest things, to bring about making you more and more like Jesus. He's not promising everything that you face in this life. John 16 is where Jesus looked at his disciples, ironically, and he said, here's what I need you to know. You're gonna have a really hard life. It's gonna be rough. And in this world, I'm promising you, you're gonna face trouble, but I have overcome the world. And this world is a vapor and it is fleeting and I'm enough to get you through it. And this is not your home. But I will be enough as you walk through that and I will use even the hardest things you face to make you more like my son or to make you more conform to the character of Jesus in your life. It's not dissimilar to this. I don't know if you guys know how gold is refined. Um, when you dig gold out of the ground and it's just kind of like rock and minerals and you take all that stuff and you're like, this is gold. They would take it to a goldsmith and the goldsmith would then take it to a furnace and here's how he purifies the gold. He puts it in the furnace, he heats it all the way up and through that heat, all of a sudden, the impurities or the different minerals begin to rise to the top. So he puts it in the oven, heats it all the way up, really, really hot, impurities rise to the top, he pulls it out, he scrapes off the impurities of the gold, he puts it back in, heats it all the way back up again, pulls it back out, scrapes off the impurities of the gold, and he does this over and over and over again. Every time the fire helps draw out the impurities, and he scrapes them away, puts it back in. Do you know how he knows whenever the gold is pure and purified? When he can see his reflection in the gold. This is what the Bible says that God is doing, even in the hardest circumstances in his life, that he's allowing those things to purge out impurities. That's what he wants to do. He wants to begin to bring out the impurities in your life that are not minerals. They're things like anger and lust, jealousy, selfishness, greed. That he wants to conform everything in your life. And the more that you surrender and allow him, that's the goal that he's taking you to, to be more like Jesus. That's what he's trying to do inside of your life. And he's allowing everything, even the hardest of circumstances, to be like a fire that pushes out and exposes some of the impurities that are there. Some of the ways, you, and I, I don't trust you, God. So that he would bring about to bring you closer to a place where you can more clearly see his reflection in your life. This is what God is doing. This is the specific good that he's promised. Not upgrades all the time, that your car got wrecked, because that's because God has a better car for you. That's not in the Bible. But your car got wrecked, and God has promised, I'm gonna use that to make you more like Jesus. I wish it was in the Bible, dude. That would be amazing. It's like, your car got wrecked, but let me tell you, we got a car for you, and you, and you. I got a cattle on a thousand hills. We got cars. We're not Oprah. And God doesn't say he works like that. But he has something so much better, so much more lasting than a car, which is your character. Ultimately, so many of these positive vibes, and we're about to be done, have at the epicenter of them a focus on me and on you, on your desires, on your life, on your goals, on the things that you want, and then also on like your ability to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and you just believe enough, and you go take it, and you've got everything you take, and you're going to slay your own Goliath, and it puts at the epicenter you, the focus of your life, you. And the Bible says it doesn't work that way. And the more that you just say, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be able to face these hardships in life because of me, you've bought a lie. The Bible teaches that life almost works like this. These are two almost identical balloons. The difference between the two is that this one has helium in it. And this one 
It does not. It has air inside of it. You know what happens whenever you hit this balloon down? It comes back up. You know what happens when you hit this one down? It's already down. It stays down. It's a very simple science experiment. But the point is, what is inside of it determines its ability to rise. The Bible doesn't say that you're never going to face hardship and you're not going to go through painful times and a breakup and lose your job and not have your car get wrecked and not be able to make rent and not have things work the way that you want them to work. But it does promise that if you allow Christ inside of you to lead your life, if you're surrendered to him and you walk with him and you walk in dependence on him, not your own strength and not your ability to overcome things, but you walk in dependence on him, then no matter how much life throws at you and how much challenges and hardships that you face, you will continue to rise. I'm not saying succeed and get the promotion every time. You won't get the promotion and you're not gonna be held down about it. You're gonna be like, Paul, dude, I'm in prison, but I know the secret of being in prison or the palace. It's all good, I got Jesus. That's what it paints the picture of. The flip side is also the same, where you're like, hey, if you just depend on yourself, your life is about you and building your kingdom and your health and your wealth and your prosperity, then you're gonna live a life that is depressing, despairing, and you're gonna find yourself whenever you're like, you know what, I've got what it takes to defeat this depression, I've got what it takes to defeat this here, you're just gonna end up staying on the ground. And you won't rise. And this is why people tragically, so some of you guys, you're back in church for the first time in a while, and you were raised in environments where they yelled and screamed things, and it was inspirational, it didn't make a lot of sense, but it inspired you, and you left the church. Because you were like, this doesn't even work. Like, it's so awesome when I'm in there, and it's good vibes, but then I leave, and it doesn't lead to like a good life. It leads me to be like, I don't, something's off. This doesn't really work for me. I thought, I thought it was supposed to all be kind of up and to the right. And this is really hard. And my mom died. And I thought, God, you were never gonna leave me and forsake me and this doesn't seem right. And you walked away from the church. Some of you have family members like me. I have family members who walked away from the church because they saw these weird distorted perceptions or expressions of Christianity that are not biblical. And they're the Christian good vibes only variation. Our heart cry, like the, I'll close here. I think the reason this is so popular is because there's something in all of us inside of my heart that just the reason why it's so intriguing and appealing to be like, dude, just, just tell me I've got what it takes and it's going to be okay and it's not going to you know, uh, win against me and I've got it and God will give me victory is because we all just want to know it's going to be okay. Like we want someone to just tell us, like just tell me, tell me it's going to be okay. Tell me it's not gonna end like this. Tell me the pain is not gonna be like I'm feeling right now. Like tell me, even though it's hurting right now, tell me it's gonna be okay. And so we listen to people and they're like, it, they give us that message, but it's built on false hope. Well, at the same time, the Bible does say it's gonna be okay. You're gonna be okay. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you're gonna be okay. It may not be okay like you want it to be in this life, but it says it's like a vapor. And then for all of eternity with Jesus, it's gonna be okay. He's gonna bring every disease, sickness, cancer to an end. Healing will happen in the next life. And sometimes in this one, but he's promised it's gonna be okay. It may not be on the timeline that you want, but I need you to listen to me very closely. And what will seem like an instant, that's what a vapor is. That's what the Bible says this life is. You're gonna be in heaven. You're gonna be in eternity with God. It's gonna be okay. 
It may not all work out like you want it to now in this life, but it's gonna be okay. And the God who's there has gone to such great lengths to make sure that you know that despite the fact that in this life you're gonna experience bad vibes. I I wish I could give everybody just an encouragement and you're gonna leave here and you just got good vibes. You're gonna have bad vibes. You're gonna have bad days. You're gonna have bad things happen to you. You're gonna make bad decisions. You're gonna be responsible for making bad vibes a part of someone else's life. You're gonna do things that hurt your own self. And people are gonna do things that hurt you and that's just, you can't promise just protection from all the pain. But the God who's there has gone to the greatest extent to show you, I will give even my life to promise a future that has a hope and a purpose and is free of all pain. And I did so by dying in your place on the cross. Dying not just for every bad vibe this world has ever experienced, but for every bad decision you've ever made, ever made. Every look at pornography, every time that you've ever committed sexual sin with someone who's not your spouse, every time that every abortion represented in this room, every time that you've worshiped something other than God, including yourself, every time that you've given yourself over to substances just to numb yourself, all of it was paid for. That Jesus went to the cross in an ironic turn of events, in the worst moment in human history where this happened, where Jesus went, and he went in a way that would no one would have said at that moment. That's good vibes only. But ironically, the worst moment in history, even that moment, God flipped on its head. And today we call it Good Friday. It's the day God died. The day God died for you, the day God died for me, and the day that every bad vibe in our world went on an expiration shot clock. Because of the truth, and the new world is coming, and Jesus is returning, and with him only come good things. But you need to know, it is only those who have accepted the free gift of God who have eternal life. It's not those who have a healthy, wealthy life in this time. It's not those who are positive enough, who overcome their challenges enough. It is those who say, I surrender to you, Jesus. You're my savior. I put my faith in what you did on the cross for me. I'm not gonna have a relationship with God because I did anything good. I know I'm not good. And so I'm trusting in what you did for me. You paid on that cross for me. And you rose from the grave. You showed the payment clear. That's what it means to be a Christian. And the only people who will live in the life to come, the only people who should leave here with any hope that no matter how bad today was, the new world is coming, are those who are not good people. They're forgiven people who've trusted Jesus and have put their faith not in how good they've done or how bad they are. There's so many of you. It breaks my heart every week. You still think you're good enough to go to heaven. Or honestly, the opposite is generally more true. You still think you're too bad to. You still think that, no, God, you know, I've really got to clean stuff up and I'm trying to get things together and, you know, I'm working on, I need to make some changes and I'm going to get back. That will never get you into a relationship with God. You can get all the good things in the world and you can go a week without smoking pot and you can go a week without looking at porn. You can go a week without texting her late at night. None of that will get you deserving to have a relationship with God. Wherever you're at right now, he's inviting you to know him, to have a relationship with him. He already paid for it. When he on the cross took all of your sin, past, present, and future, he knows everything, every sin you haven't even committed yet, he paid for it. Think about that. Everything you're gonna do in a year from now, paid. That's how scandalous the gospel and the grace of God is. He's inviting all of us 
to have eternal life in a relationship that experiences an abundant life, not monetarily, but in abundance by walking with him now, by receiving the free gift. God, I'm a sinner. I trust in what you did on, my, on the cross and dying for my sin and rising from the grave. And I receive that free gift. I don't deserve it, but I receive it right now. I believe that, God. I believe you paid for me. You're who you say you are. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you are a God who's gone to such great lengths to restore a world that is full of bad brokenness and bad vibes to perfect, good, loving, whole, not just vibes, but reality. Thank you that already you are working backwards the curse that sin broke, or the curse that sin brought into the world when it broke everything. And you're beginning healing. And it's not always healing like walking again or someone's body being restored in this life, but you are working backwards in our world and you are bringing your kingdom and you're returning someday. I pray right now, God, for anyone in this room who has been burned by the prosperity gospel. They've been burned by expressions of Christianity that do not resemble what the Bible says, that you would move near to their heart now. You would work and begin to just heal wounds and baggage and things that happen by people standing on stages like me right now, claiming things that you don't ever say they should have claimed in your name. For abuse that's taken place, God, would you heal? Father, thank you that you love us and you're for us. You have a plan. And in all of eternity, we'll get to experience the goodness of our God. But as we wait, we experience that still and trust you and walk with you and hold on to you in the midst of hardship, God. Help us to be those type of people. Amen.